Hello, and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. And uh, first of all, I hope everybody had uh, a good Memorial Day weekend. Um, I took the time off to um, I guess rest and celebrate the holiday. Um, But also I kind of wrote a blog um, instead of doing a podcast. So um, uh, Eric Fleming's weblog, you can check that out um, on ericrfleming.net and any other previous weblogs I've put out there. So, but we're back with the podcast this week and we're going to talk about a couple of subjects. Um, we're going to talk about the importance of black media and we're going to talk about the importance of black humor. So, uh, my first guest is going to talk about the media part. Uh, and her name is Tiana Magnon and she is a PR and media relations specialist who focuses on storytelling and media creation. By utilizing social media, traditional media, and micromedia, she is able to spark necessary conversation between communities, bolstering discussions for healing, for long-term relationship building. She specializes in campaigns that focus on equity and inclusion and is excited about ensuring that all residents have equal access to health, employment, and housing opportunities. Ladies and gentlemen, to get this show started, it is my honor to present to you Tiana Magnon. All righty, Miss Magnon. Ms. Tiana Magnon, welcome to A Moment with Eric Fleming. Thank you. I'm super excited to talk about this. Media is dear to my heart, so we can talk about this all day, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and it's a very important thing, I think, because we haven't really had a whole lot of it uh, in our lifetime. Um, a lot of people have not been exposed to it as far as from a television perspective. Uh, I think people don't understand the power of black media um, throughout history, but um, um, what do you, what do you, where do you think the state of black media is now? Wow. That's a pretty broad question to just start with. Um, yeah, so with my firm, we try and, you know, we get clients into the news and I really prefer to work with black and brown outlets. Um, literally, my most recent pitch was looking at the commercialization of Juneteenth. And so we're working with everyone from like Tennessee Tribune to the San Fran Observer. And so you have these black outlets that are like local news really providing for their community. And then you have, um, you know, some efforts like Capital B at the national level. Um, I think at the national level, it, it's a little bit tougher. At the local level, it's still really hard to, you know, garner the support you need. And you see that across all of media. Like, let's be clear, all outlets are struggling. Everyone is is really, you know, hard pressed to get the revenue they need to put the news out there. Um, but, you know, when it comes to black outlets, which are disenfranchised, maybe it's harder to get that loan you need to build your newsroom. Or, you know, you're already working with people who feel, you know, pretty ignored by the media. So you have to build that trust again. And so I think what we're seeing in terms of the state of the media is that there's this real energy. There's a lot of effort. And so how do we kind of bring all of these different elements together to really start to improve and push back on mainstream news? Yeah. Um, you know, I come from a perspective from the media I worked in was newspapers. I had the privilege of working for two African-American newspapers. Um, and, you know, I remember growing up in Chicago, 
uh, Muhammad Speaks was a huge, huge um, uh, newspaper. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that Muhammad Speaks and I think Marcus Garvey's newspaper, The Negro World, at one time, those were two of, in their in particular eras, two of the most popular newspapers in America. Um, and right up there with the New York Times and, and the Washington Post. And so uh, we've, we've had some impact, had some power. What kind of sparked me to ask you to come on um, was the BNC aspect of it, um, the Black News Channel. And so um let me let me let you make your your take on what happened and 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 why it's important for a black news channel to exist oh um i think it's, it's sometimes really hard for us to like have these conversations you know because like one who's listening you know i always get a little weary when us black folks are talking about other black ventures and um just just kind of being wary of who's in the audience but i would definitely say you know when it comes to bnc there was so much passion there were a lot of people who wanted to get the stories out and so um i think sometimes what you have an issue with is really you know the decisions that leadership comes up with you start to realize once you're in these positions why i think more mainstream news outlets are doing what they're doing so um bnc tried a few things you know they tried like a viewership pledge where you would watch a certain amount of minutes per week you would tell different people and you know as black folks we are very community we're very facetime driven um that kind of thing but I think at the end of the day, there's also just a latent frustration with the news. So if you're not coming out the gate with that hard hitting content that people want to see, um, you're not going to get the support. And I think that goes for both black outlets, white outlets. You know what I mean? I think BNC was great, um, but sometimes it was a little bit more of the same. Or what you get, um, you know, I'm thinking of the shade room, which I hesitate to call, call news, but a lot of people do read it. Um, you know, we get a lot of entertainment news. So you don't always get that hard hitting. Um, and it's, it's because it's expensive, you know, telling a reporter to write about something like gentrification or gerrymandering and taking your time on that, you know, as opposed to writing three quick hit articles about, you know, maybe a P-Valley roundup or, you know, like Lori breaking up with Michael B. Jordan, you know, you can get that content out quicker and you can get the ads and the revenue that you need a lot faster. So I think in America where you already have this, this huge focus on revenue, you literally like as a business, you, you can't exist without revenue, but then you start to layer on these very complicated disenfranchisement factors. And, and what you see is that news is already like, hard to create it's even harder for folks like us to create with very few resources yeah i heard that criticism too about um the black news channel i think there's a there's a segment of our community and they're not necessarily wrong but there's a segment of our community that assumes that they have that george clinton mindset toward what black should look like and if you don't understand, it's like the chocolate city kind of thing, where it's like they expect the White House to literally be black when it when the what black person gets in. Um, and if it sounds like I'm trivializing that, I'm just trying to make it simple so people can understand how I view it, because it's like I think they expect too much. I mean, it's almost like they were expecting the black news channel folks to come out in, in African dashikis and, and, or, or, you know, raise their fists the way that they attack them. And, and my thing is it's a news, it's a news channel, number one. And number two, um, I do think in light of what you were bringing up that they could have done something more like, um, I'm trying to think of what that channel is, but like the, like, uh, uh, AJ plus and now this, I think for me, if, if they had a real hard hitting investigative thing right out of the gate, that it probably would have caught on, uh, you know, where people would have, 
Because I think the issue ended up the guy who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars wanted to sell it and nobody wanted to buy it from him. And I think that if they had that kind of unique niche where this was this was the channel that was doing the investigative reporting that needed to be told in the black community, right, then that would have been a selling point, maybe, or if somebody would have, you know, said, well, let's keep this going as opposed to just watching it. I mean, even if we think through our conversation, like we're saying that uh, maybe black folks expected too much, but then we're also saying, you know, they should have come out with the hard hitting stuff, but CNN barely comes up with hard hitting stuff anymore. You right. know, like it, it's so, it's so tough to do the hard hitting stuff. And it's just like, and I, I think it's fair to expect that of them to say like, you know, we, we wanted, if you're going to come out here, we expect this of you. Um, I, I think it's just tough because right now you're not really seeing a lot of that kind of content across newsrooms. Right. And it goes, I mean, it's a historical thing. It's not just with, with black media, but uh, I think mm-hmm. the term they used to use was yellow journalism uh, initially, mm-hmm. where it's like you just go for the thing that's going to uh, grab the attention. Scandalous. Yeah. yeah. And then and then we'll get to whatever. And And entertainment news seems to be kind of the uh, pablum, if you will, to, to get folks to buy stuff as, or, or read stuff, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, just straight up regular journalism. But I, but I think people are, because of the politics that is going on now, I think there is an undercurrent and, and tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, but I think there is an undercurrent where people are seeking a truth or at least a truth that they can understand. Do, do you? I would definitely agree. I think in theory, that is what we're seeking. The problem is that in practice, we're all stressed out, barely focused. Our attention span is nothing. And it's very important to understand that that kind of coverage, that kind of content is not going to be deliverable in one minute and 30 seconds. And so while we have this TikTokification of news, we're not going to see the bigger content that we that we want to see. And I think it requires a little bit of discipline on our part to say, you know, this isn't a sexy article. This isn't something that's the most eye grabbing thing, but I need to read it. And so I, I think the tough part is, is one, as consumers, we are very used to getting what we want. And sometimes when that doesn't appear that way, we tend to immediately dismiss it. And so I think about this like ProPublica, you know, like they're doing amazing content, but it's super text heavy, you know, it's not, it's just not now this, which is so easy to watch, you know, they have, you can watch it on mute if you wanted to. And so I I think there's this really um, interesting kind of division that we're seeing in the news where it's like to tell the news, really hard hitting news, it has to be text heavy. We haven't seen that kind of how do we, take this digital sphere and make these harder stories more palatable for people. So I think right now, until we catch up on the newsroom side, there's just going to be a requirement of people to say, you know, this isn't fun. This isn't, um, you know, great to read. This isn't even that engaging, but I do need to read it. Do you think you that... Gerrymandering is never fun to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Let uh, alone be in the middle of dealing with... Um... <laughs> But uh, um, do you think what you mentioned CNN doesn't really do the hard hitting? I think CNN's kind of put themselves in a position where their brand, everybody knows what CNN means. So, yeah, they can they they could rest on their laurels a little bit um, as opposed to a black news channel that is really trying to do something positive in putting black faces in in spaces uh especially with the news but you know has to find its way through that jungle of cnn and fox and and msnbc Um, and to be fair to like the criticism, you know, BNC had it had it pretty hard. It wasn't just their constants. The fact that, you know, what did their anchors look like? Why were they all so light skinned? Why, you know, why couldn't we get darker skinned people to tell the news on on Morning Hype or BNC Go? Um, and so there's a lot of lot of elements there that I think turned off 
the community early on, where it's like you're saying this is the Black News Channel, but this isn't what our community looks like. This isn't how we tell the news. And that's important because I think it's very important to understand that, like, as a community, we are natural news tellers. You know, we talk all the time to each other about what's happening, what we've seen, things that, you know, we've kind of caught up on. And so I think sometimes the issue is, is that Black outlets see journalism as just this kind of, this is how you do it. And they forget that we've been doing this for centuries. And maybe those are the practices to borrow from and not this already failing news structure that isn't even working for these other outlets. But we're going to take it on and see if we can do any better. It just, it doesn't make sense. We, like, you know, like systems wise here. <laughs> yeah, I get you. So one of the things when I was doing the bio on you, um, it was talking about micro, what is micro media? I, 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 I understand what MSM is. I understand social media, mm-hmm. but it's the first I've heard of micro media. What exactly is that? Yeah, so um, I study journalism at RIT, so Mm -hmm. I really wanted to understand, like, a more digital way of telling stories. Like, I love the idea of using virtual reality to tell the news, you know, putting people right into stuff. And so micromedia is the idea that you don't have to produce an entire package right within your text story, because text is still the best way to tell a lot of complicated stories. But right within your text story, you can embed certain multimedia that starts to help people understand. So you see a little bit of this, like with the New York Times, Um, they had this, the very first one was this article, I think, called Snowfall or something like that. And then there was um, a story about like fishers out wherever. And basically, it's more so of like, instead of a whole video, maybe your photo moves. It's almost like... (laughs) You're going to laugh, but Harry Potter news. Okay. You know, you're seeing more of these elements because it's capturing the best of photography, it's capturing the best of video. Maybe we're using more kind of pull quotes and we're pulling more of those really beautiful quotes into bigger text. Um, But it's really just kind of using the way that people naturally read stories and then start to pull more of those elements. Because a lot of people don't watch a two-minute package and then read an 800-word story. So just kind of integrating these a little bit more. Okay. All right. So is that something, an avenue that uh, more African-Americans going into journalism need to look at or, uh, you know, historical organizations need to utilize as far as uh, getting their message out? I think right now our biggest thing is to just challenge what we believe journalism to be. We've been fed a very, um, this idea that journalism can even be objective. You know, how do you as a person put your entire self away? And unless you're very cognizant of your biases, you can't. But most people are, well, well, I'm just objective and they don't realize how they carry that into the story. So I would say even before we're thinking of our formats, how we're telling the story. We need to think and revolutionize what we think of news in the very first place. And so I think the like I think the the best um, beats that we could really stand out on are things like criminal justice, law, health, especially. You know, these are issues in which we number one, we've been left out of, but two, I find health coverage to, for the most part, be a very individualistic approach. And you see that. And so you see in news this idea of whether it's um, how we cover business, how we cover health, how we cover housing. It's always a very individualistic approach, which people attribute that trait to, you know, whiteness. And so we as a people, we're very community driven. And so how do we take that approach to our news? Um, and so I think sometimes what we're seeing is that, you know, when it comes to criminal justice or police coverage, um, challenging outlets that are just pulling out like the press release from police, they're using their like, hey, I'm from this community and they're going and talking to the families and saying, wow, not only did this shooting happen, but actually this person has been complained about for forever. And so what I'm seeing is that a different kind of approach. And I think when 
people feel believed, they feel heard, they're going to tell their news. And right now, white folks say, oh, it's so hard to hear from people. You're not connecting. And I think right now we have a unique ability to connect that we're just not really taking advantage of. So I know health care is kind of a, a passion for you. What, what story do you want America to hear concerning health care in the African-American community? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I think we're starting to get there, this understanding of how, you know what, let me not even say that. I wish we were getting there. I think we're still understanding how food affects health, which is which is absolutely crazy. Um, but I think we're starting to understand how our environment, how the air we're breathing, how, you know, it wasn't, redlining isn't just putting you into a, a not as great house. It's also putting you next to a brownfield. It's putting you next to a polluted river. It's putting you onto earth that still has arsenic into the ground. And so that's one thing that we're talking about a lot is, you know, as we push more into growing our own food and farming, uh, black folks, you need to be careful that you're not growing your food and dirt that's not good for you because you've been placed in an area where the soil isn't great, where they know pollution has happened. And so for me, I think we have a more holistic understanding of health. You know, sometimes we don't have the language, but we, we know when that great uncle not, not quite right. You know, we never, we didn't always have the words for it, but we know what's up. We know when your grandma's just a little too sad or, or when she's cooking all day because she's putting her heart into it. And so I think we just need to go back to what is news, finding the language for it and moving forward because we already have all the resources, the elements, everything we need within our communities. Okay. Um, is there anything that you would advise uh, young African-Americans that want to go into journalism? Um, is there anything that you would advise them as far as, well, as far as like techniques or, or opportunities to pursue? Uh, what would you, what yeah. would you tell somebody that wants say, I, I, Tiana, I need you to be my mentor. What would you say? I mentor a lot of young journalists um, and I talk to a lot of different colleges as well. And my biggest thing is don't be afraid to be selfish. This industry teaches you to put your life on the line for the story. And what we find with black journalists, especially is that as newsrooms understand the the value of diversity, they're still not understanding how to utilize that diversity. And so you're seeing black journalists in these newsrooms who are the only people covering police shootings. And they're watching that footage over and over and over, you know, like already so many of us can barely watch it on our timeline. Like, you know, but there's a journalist who put that story together and for that two minute package had to watch that footage for over half an hour, an hour, over and over and over again. And you, you're hard put to find the resources that you need for that. They just expect you to, because the idea is that as a black journalist, you want to make sure the story is told right, right? You know, mm -hmm. white folks, we might not do it correctly, so you should do it. Um, but what we're finding is that with the increase in responsibility, there's not also an increase in pay. There's not also an increase in opportunity. Sometimes you stay that kind of general assignment or breaking news reporter long term, even though you've shown an ability to investigate and research and talk to, you know, people who are going through a hard time, which are all skills that a lot of newsroom leaders don't even have. And yet you're stuck making, you know, 30 grand, 40 grand a year, and you're working 12 hour days. And so I tell a lot of reporters that we're inundated with this message of, you know, the news is so important, but if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to tell the news well. And so be selfish, save every clip. Sometimes when you write an article, um, you leave that job or an internship, sometimes that newsroom goes under and now you don't have your clips anymore. Save them separately, you, you know, and um, always ask for more money because they're, they're not going to hesitate to ask for more work. So that, that would definitely be my biggest advice, you know, especially for, for black folks. We tend to, once you're making a little bit of money, you're supporting the family, you are, you know, you have all of this generational stuff to undo. 
So you really do have to take that seriously and, and really be selfish with it. So finally, I want to, uh, as a political person, <laughs> um, what, what advice would you give in the climate that we're in now, uh, an African-American candidate? Um, and I'll, I'll give you two types so you can play with that. Uh, I'll give you one conservative, I'll give you one conservative, one liberal. Uh, and these are the people that um, um, I don't necessarily agree with on the conservative side, but I I, I think they have some value. Um, there was a sister in Maryland named Kimberly Clack. I don't know if you remember her. Okay, so that would be the conservative. What what message <laughs> you would give her in trying to relate to us, right? And then uh, say a Malcolm Kenyatta, right, in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, what, what advice would you give him in trying to get our message out in a, in a broader sense? Cause I think, I think listening to the way you talk, there's some kind of commonality in both requests. So, but I'll let you, I'll let you answer. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm also like a third party person. Like since I was 18 and registered, I've always been pretty critical of just two parties in general. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's two messages here and it's very important to understand like why that two party system persists. And it's because it's paid for, you know, like to even get on the debate stage, you have to raise a certain amount of money. You're only going to do that with your party backing. And so what you find is that people tend to go into what I call like hyper politics, where they take whatever stance their party is known for and then radicalize it even further. So then that way they're catching everyone from here to here to here. And the idea is that, you know, we are going to get the money from the party. We'll also get money from businesses. We'll also get money from radicals and we'll also get money from moderates. And so what you're seeing is that it moves away from what the politics needs to be into what the politics has to be so I can go further into the race. And so what I would say, you know, earnestly to two candidates is that you really do have to do what you need to do to get the money. Let's be real about that. However, if you start early enough, the money is in the people and you don't have to go through the parties. And I think what Obama's election showed me that he didn't capitalize well on is that for decades now, I think Americans have been very tired of American politics and they're seeking something very new. And so what you're seeing with everything from like the Tea Party to, you know, I even think of hyper progressivism where you're seeing like more of that kind of socialism. People want something different because they know that what's happening isn't working. You know, each president is telling us this is the best country on earth. And yet most of us can barely afford rent. We're tired. You know, we can't even vacation as much as we want to because we broke and the pandemic is still happening. And so what I would tell someone is that if you're young and you have enough time to build up towards your candidacy, start growing your network, start growing your people now, because people want somebody with an actual stance. They don't want a politician. If you are facing election in November, you need that money. And I understand. But I think overall, what you're going to see is that a move away from just two parties in general. And I think once you find somebody who can capitalize on that frustration and that energy and say, you know, the, the answer like to gun control isn't even found in either party. They're both wrong on this. There's going to be somebody who says, holy crap, there's merit on both sides. Let's Spider-Man this, bring it together. And that's where the true answer is. And so I think of things like healthcare, you know, um, people know what they want and sometimes we don't have the language for it. And that's where a democracy fails. Um, you know, you have politicians, you know, we won't even get into that, whether this is a real democracy or not, but you have politicians who just try and do what they think is best for the people. And that's a very idealistic understanding of what they do. Um, but right now, while people are stressed out, um, I would tell a candidate, the answer is out there. You just need to capitalize on the human power and get your message out there. But I don't know. I think I'm pretty tired of people pretending there's an either or answer when usually, you know, the answer is really just in the middle and, and you just need to go from there. I don't think that answers your question, but it's an attempt. 
<laughs> I think I think that was perfect for for it, and I think it's a perfect way to close out our segment. Um, Tiana, I thank you for for taking the time out to do this. Um, uh, I look look forward to having you back on, and even some of your clients. Uh, <laughs> I work with some cool people. You reached out to me, and I'm like, bro, I am not nearly as cool as some of the folks I'm working with. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll 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 keep that relationship going. But thank you again for taking the time out. Okay. Yes, thank you. Um, I would love to join, and yeah, just keep me posted. It was great to be here. Yes, ma'am. All right, and it's uh oh, give them the name of your company again. I'm sorry. Yeah, Manon Media, and it's T I A N N A M A N O N dot com. All right, so yeah, I need, so I got the plug in. All right, so we'll yeah. we'll catch everybody on the other side. And so we're back. And uh, again, I want to thank uh, Tiana Magnon for for coming on and um, and and giving her that giving us that take on on black media and uh, a little instructional uh, stuff on politics as well. I hope people caught that and paid attention to that. Uh, so now we're going to focus in on another aspect in our community and that's black humor. Um, and so who better than somebody who's in the profession, uh, to kind of talk about a little bit. And so, uh, this sister's name is Kendra Crump. Uh, Kendra hails from Atlanta, Georgia, and has been performing in clubs in and around the area, but now she's just, she's on a national tour. Uh, she's also been featured on the YouTube show Rise Up Worldwide channel called Laugh at Home. She and she also hosts her own podcast, The Kendra Crump Show. You can find her on Instagram at The Kendra Crump Show. Uh, and that's all one word uh, on Instagram. Um, she is a recent graduate of Clark Atlanta University. She is now studying at Georgia State University, uh, obtaining her PhD in child psychology. And in the bio, it instructs us that we might as well start calling her Dr. Crump. So uh, we're going to go ahead and do that during the interview. Um, but I, I, I think this Black Humor segment is important because it's, it's kind of a niche that we've had in the community to kind of get us through. And so I think Kendra can help explain to a lot of people, but some people already know, but just to get her take on why black humor is important in our society. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Kendra Crump. All right, Miss Crump, how are you? Dr. Crump, come on now, put some respect on my name because I'm, I'm a doctor in, in training, okay? I'm going to get my PhD in child psychology, child. All right, doctor in training. Are you are you close to the dissertation part or are you just still in the study? Um, yes, uh, optimistically speaking, uh, I already graduated, but uh, realistically speaking, who knows? Okay, so this is a, it's okay. I'm, on, I'm working towards getting my master's right now. Okay. All right, so you're speaking into existence. That's good. Um, so I want to talk to you about, since you do this for a living, by the way, how many cities have you been to in the last couple of weeks? Cities? Uh, I can tell you states, but cities, I'm just going to say 30. Okay, because I know you've been to, you just were in Chattanooga. Um, you've been to Chicago. Wearing Green Bay Packers stuff, but I'll forgive you for that. You know what, people? Are you in uh, born and raised in Chicago? Yes. Why did you listen? I was in your city. Why didn't you like say so? I could have met you. Well, I wasn't in. I live in Atlanta, but I'm just saying. Oh. I grew up in Chicago, so 
Got you. Okay, got you. I was like, I always get excited to meet people like who have been following me or who is, who support me. I'm like, bro, give me a hug. Now get the hell off me. Like, that's how I am. But people are like, you should not wear that. You better be glad I didn't say nothing. And they would have said, like, what do you, you know, I don't know how y'all like confront folks when you got out of towners. I would have been like, well, I'm cold. I well, need some. Let me, let me tell you how we confront folks. So, okay, let's, let's role play. Let's role play. Go. All you right. see me with my Packers? No, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. So, um, the year that the Bears and the Packers played each other for the chance to go to the Super Bowl, right? There was a car dealership. And all of the guys at the car dealership were wearing something orange and blue or, you know, bear stuff, right? Mm-hmm. This this one brother walked in, green and gold down, had a green and gold tie, had the Packers pin on his lapel. They oh, fi- dang, he loud. They fired him that day. <laughs> <laughs> And it made and it made the news. It was like it was like no, the, it was that the, it was the headline story of the news. Did I, he sue them? I'm sure they gave him some kind of compensation. Did you ever come, come did you ever come across that legend? Did I ever come across him? No, I never met him. <laughs> but yeah, he uh yeah, he got fired that day. And uh yeah, so that's how serious I mean, I'm, but, I mean, that's how me, serious you know, it is. So you were you were playing with fire up there. I'm just letting I you know. Coming in, they just don't want none of them folks coming out. That's really 
That's really the truth of the matter. Why don't they want them to come out? Because it's Parkway Garden. It's look, they tore down most of the uh, housing projects, uh, and I hate. I, I, you know, somebody tried to correct me and say housing developed them in, and I said, "What the hell are they developing there?" But you know, it, it, they tore down most of them, and and so they kind of scattered throughout the city, and that correlates with. The shootings used to be all around 35th Street, around Michigan Avenue, all that stuff, except for Cabrini Green being north. But now it's citywide. And it's primarily because of that. So Parkway Gardens still exist. And so they're trying to keep them all there. You know what I'm saying? Instead of dispersing. Okay, so how are they supposed to go ahead and and get groceries and go to AutoZone, that infamous AutoZone? they (laughs) They go to the store. But I mean, you know, it's like, they they're not trying to tear that down or cut because they learned that lesson from tearing down Robert Taylor Holmes and um, Ida B. Wells and all those other places. But you know that's just that's that's kind of why Chicago is what it is right now. Uh, downtown. Have you, have you ever been inside Parkway Gardens? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> so my mom my mom was a health educator, and so she would she would work with young people she actually started the first teen clinic in chicago and so that was a really? play congratulations to your mom we need to just a round of applause let me, let me put yeah. my reaction up yeah so she um it was basically designed to help teenagers you know make right decisions about sex and all that and if they did mm-hmm. become pregnant what steps they needed to take to take care of themselves you know yeah. so the baby would be healthy uh, and she did that basically till about 2000 and when she retired she was actually you remember the movie cooley high i do so, i do so she I've taught at the real cooley high she taught there she was the cheerleading coach for eight years uh, really so wait it, is cooley high located in chicago like the like yeah the... Cooley, so cooley high was actually across the street from Gabrini green which good times was based off of as a matter of fact yeah it, and i sung the theme song when i went there last year <laughs> yeah so Cabrini green the guy who came up with the concept of Cabrini of uh, uh, good times was also the guy who wrote the movie cooley high because he actually went to cooley high so it was it was it was Cabrini green then across the street to the right was Cooley High School, and to the left was the Oscar Mayer plant. And since Cooley High, wait, wait, the Oscar Mayer, you know that song Oscar Mayer, that, that came from there. Yeah, the Oscar Mayer. Yeah, that was the actual, the actual plant you, was. You like giving me history lessons right now. Right. So the actual, since Cooley High was a vocational school, a lot of those kids that graduated from there went across the street and got jobs at Oscar Mayer. Uh, so. A lot of them just kind of stayed in that area, even though they may not went back to Brandy Green because they had jobs. They stayed in that area around the Vision and Rush and all that. <clears throat> yeah, so that's but that's actually pretty. That's pretty cool. But you said unfortunately you've been in Parkway Gardens. Give me one quick Cliff Note story of what you remember happening when you were in Parkway Gardens. It's not too graphic or too violent or oh, I, it's it's real quick because I, I I so. I, I picked up a friend of mine. We was after my first year in college, and I was back home for the summer, and uh, uh, a friend from high school actually. And so we were back for uh, summer break, and he said he wanted to go pick up his girlfriend, right, uh, or at least talk to her a little bit before we went out and hung out. So I said, okay, cool. So um, he told me that he 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 was saying we'll go down this way and this that, and I kept looking. I said. Um, Dude, where does she stay? Uh, she stay in Parkway Gardens. I said, what, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I, got a question. I got a question. I got a way home. So you kind of pick up your homeboy? You didn't have a car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope, I hope she didn't give him no coochie that night, but go ahead. No, no, because it was, it was just a, I guess, you know, a conjugal visit, I guess. I don't know. He came in, <laughs> he went in there, and of course, I'm sitting in the parking lot just kind of like, <sighs> yeah, and they didn't have the gates like they got now. And so I'm like, okay, <laughs> this better not be long. But fortunately, he came out okay, everything's cool. But that was like the longest 15, 20 minutes of my life, really. I mean, were you, were you, were you really afraid for your life? Did you think something was yeah, going to happen? Yeah, because, so to use an old young person's phrase, off the chain, out of control, 
OC. Yeah. I mean, you, you just you just on, never wait, know. Wait, did you say did you just say a young person slang? But then you guess that none of those were young people slang. Well, I mean, I'm just saying they're not young now. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Do you still say the word break house when you're describing a woman? Uh, for nostalgia purposes, yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> that's that's groovy. That's <laughs> yeah, but no, I enjoyed it, man. I really, I went to um, pizza wise. I ate um, home running, which I'm gonna keep it real. It's okay to me. Well, right, I mean, I home like, running is not the. the I mean, because it's like if you want. I went to the original location though. But if you, but if you really, I and mean, home running, I'm not trying to diss home running, but. You know, Chicago is the deep dish piece of folks. So either Giordano's or Gino's East. Or, be- or Beggars. Yeah, beggars or Gino's, or go to Gino's East. Well, I went to, uh, this last year, I went to Lou's. Lou's is pretty good. Yeah. It is really good. But okay. you know, somebody told me, they said real Chicagoans don't like deep dish piece. And I'm like, bro, what? No, that's True a lie. True or false? That's a lie. I mean, we invented it. So no, yeah, we love it. I mean, you know, we when we left. Have you have you ever had Chicago. New York? Have you ever had New York's pizza? Oh yeah, yeah. Between the two, who's better? Uh, I'm gonna be biased, <laughs> just like I'm. <laughs> I'm biased about Jackson State. I'm biased about Chicago pizza. I just, I mean, you know, I feel New York pizza. I feel it, but Chicago deep dish pizza is the greatest invention in food ever to me. Gotcha. Okay. So, well, you should. I didn't get a chance to go to uh, not Harold's, but there's another one. They got a Maxwell. Uh, you know, if I if I I don't eat red meat sausage, no, none of that pork no more. But if I did, I would definitely go get a Polish sausage. But when they make a vegetarian one, I'll. Uh, I'm sure they're gonna have it pretty soon. Um, you know, Maxwell Street. That was that was legendary growing up. Uh, Harold's Chicken. That's. I mean, you know, they got Harold's Chicken in Atlanta now, which I think is crazy. They actually have. I want to go to the original. You know what I really want? I did get a chance to go to the Water Tower place. I was so happy about that. Um, next time, I'm going to go to the to the place where Chief Keith got evicted out of. Okay. I'm going to go to Lake Geneva. Okay. okay? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that. I mean, Lake Geneva. Cool. I'm going to go to uh, where Lil Dirk's home. Where he grew up in, and then I'm gonna go to the place where King Von. Um, I'm gonna go to the place where King Von uh, had got like he, where he not like not the shootout, but he has something to do with the guy who got shot. And they, I have the address. So I'm gonna go there. Uh, so I'm like, this is where King Von had got like caught up in that mess. Rest in peace, though. I'm gonna go to. Oh, uh, I'm gonna find his gravesite. I'm gonna find Juice World's gravesite. So we we just got to get you some bodyguards when next time you go. But look, let's let's. Uh, wait, wait, you know what? That's what people are like, bro. Where's your bulletproof vest? I'm like, bulletproof vest. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a totally different vibe than when I grew up there, but it's still it's still punks. home, you know. And they rather they rather shoot than fight. Like, just take this ass with me. Right. That's, know, that's the way it was when I was growing up, you know. But yeah. So look. Let me let's get let's get on track for a bit. We didn't we didn't took up most of the time, but I did want to ask you since, and, and so what you what we did in that conversation is kind of an example of what I wanted to talk about, right? That mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. use humor in the black community a lot. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of the greatest comedians, stand-up comedians out there, uh, have been black, but. Like when we were talking about the situation in Chicago, we we talked about it in a humorous way, even though it's a very very serious situation. How important is that? How important is is humor for the black community to deal with a lot of the stress and 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 injustice that we deal with? Humor is important because you gotta laugh to keep from crying like laughter is the best medicine it makes you feel good you got tears coming out your eyes you spit your drink out like i love when people be doing that like when you know you choke on some food whatever choke on the pain it don't matter like something to make you feel good you got you have got to to use like laugh like people like take everything so seriously which i don't be understanding because How's that like a generation that was raised off of South Park and Family Guy be so sensitive to now it's like you can't even 
say or do certain things. You got comedians getting attacked on stage. You got, you got, you know, people canceling folks and stuff. And Bernie Mac was alive. I'll tell you, some folks will cancel him. They'd be like, man, I love you, Bernie. And then somebody would be like, oh, no, let's cancel Bernie because he said that milk and cookie show. Oh, okay, so we canceling Bernie. That's what I'm saying. Like, people, it's like, it's too many followers instead of leaders, bro. And that's one, one thing I will say is like, the Bible talks about be not conformed to this world, but be transformed and renewed, like, in the mind too many people are not like they all conform to everything and i'm like bro y'all gotta be better than this but no i just i just laugh and i make a joke out of everything i be roasting everything and i don't even be caring i'm like i dare y'all to say something but you know what my guardian angels are you know tired of me that's probably why god got me on do not disturb (laughs) so you you mentioned about the the uh, uh attacks on stage and and recently we had two we had a big one I would consider both of them big, but in different ways. So the the one that everybody in the world saw when Will Smith uh, uh, slapped Chris Rock for making a joke about his wife. And then not, I guess a month later or so, we had some guy who somehow had some kind of charge on him. He had a warrant on him, but he was able to walk into a, a, a venue with a knife and and be able to jump on stage and go after Dave Chappelle. And and we don't even know, we still don't know why he did it. We just know that he did it. As somebody who does this for a living, um, how does that how does that make you feel? Has that ever happened to you? Um, I mean, what 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 where do you think that that do you think it's a trend or do you think it was just coincidence that those happened at that time? All right, so my ADHD kicked in, so I'm going to try to answer whatever question I can remember, just to let you know. <laughs> uh, so, number one, has that ever happened to me? We will be doing a collect call from uh, prison <laughs> to do this, to do this uh, Zoom um, In the future, uh, I got you. Interview, you know, just that's number one. Don't try, I don't like, don't follow. Let me, I'm not mentally uh, all the way there, guys. I'm the same type of person. Somebody tried to like the fake, a fake homeless person. I found out they were fake. I was gonna drive all over the city of Atlanta, find this little bitty woman. Cause I'm, she, she was like, had to be 4'11, like 120, right? I'm like 5'6, five, 5'7, five, 175 with a wagon. That's real. Okay, she <laughs> came from Dr. God, not Dr. Atlanta. Back to the story. So I was gonna try to find, find this broad, flip her around, flip her upside down, shake the money out of her, right? Like, if you remember Martin when, when that, white guy at the uh, train with him and Gina. Right. Um, and, and the guy got crunk with her and she said, come through the window. She shaked him like, bang, that's what, that's how I am. So to answer your question, no, I definitely, no. So that's never happened. Number two, number two, it to me is, this is just a time of people just want to cancel you for everything. They will try to shut you up. Good thing he has security because that could have ended badly if he did not have security. I've seen people jump on stage and try to attack comedians before and everything else like that. And to me, that's that's crazy. I, I've seen comedians a few months, some months back, uh, Arden, no, 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 uh, Atheon Crockett, there was a white lady who jumped on stage to interrupt him from, from performing. And I'm like, people sent that to me. I'm like, no, people ain't done that to me. I've had people talk through my um through my uh, sets, but I ain't never had nobody try to jump on stage and stuff like that. Like, like I said, man, I, I think the thing when it comes to comedy, it make you really not really want to do it because of the fact that you have this type of, you know, issues going on and everything like that. So that's the thing when it comes with that. Um, I don't know. I just, I really wish more people could be more mature about these things. I mean, and on top of that, I want to believe everything that I see on the tell live vision. Okay, especially right. when stuff happens with actors acting. That's all I'm gonna say about that. I'm a very woke person. I will have this pay. I will have your channel shut down. But I, but I like you, so I'm not gonna have the <laughs> FBI after you. Okay. Like I'm on their I'm on their watch list forever. That's a true story, but that's a story for another day. Okay, we'll go on. So. <laughs> Listen, you remember you had said earlier in the conversation, you said when you go to Chicago, you try and do all that, have your your bulletproof vest. Listen, I got the government like who's watching me, so they'll be there. <laughs> be like like uh, Chris Rock and head of state, you know, yeah. and, and then poof. Oh, that is one of my <laughs> listen. Listen, my favorite part of that movie he said so and so. He said I asked him the other day, "What's four plus four? He said forty four. Somebody yelled out, "It is!" I'm like, "Bro, what the?" <laughs> 
Oh gosh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, because we 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 are in a, an interesting time, and I and I was watching another comedian basically saying having a conversation with his grandkids and trying to explain to him what a joke was. Right? You don't think we're going to get that far, do we? Where we basically lose the right to to have humor as part of the culture? I don't think we like. We, I mean, you never know what might happen. I, I could say it won't, but it will, right? And if it does, then everybody's going to die a slow death. And <laughs> that's going to be horrible. But I, I hope it doesn't. I'm still going to crack jokes, you know, and, and people probably still going to keep believing me. That's fine. Listen, I'm going to show up on, on television. You think that you do block me, but guess what? I'm going to show up on your news feed. It always happens. You can't. Listen, man, it's like it's like trying to run from God. You cannot run from God. He everywhere that, that you there. There you go. He, there he is. Right. Try, I'm just saying, like, no, but I'll, I'll try. I'll still make jokes and not care. I, I don't think it's going to go that far. I think. I think you never know, though. I, 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 think, I, what, I, think, I think what's going to happen is, you know, people are going to say, they're going to put the brakes on that, right? I think they're going to say, you know, with at some point you got to, you know, protect, you know, our right to be human. And it's, it's more than just not beating us on the street. It's more than just discriminating against us at a job. It's, you know, being human is being able to love who you want to love and being to laugh at whatever you want to laugh at. I, I just, I just think that I, I believe, that that people would 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 stand up and and not allow that to happen. I, I just can't see that. I can't see it going that far. Listen, man, I was gonna say some in regards to that, but I'm not gonna do that because I know how the LMNO community like cancels people. So the who? The LMNO. Oh, okay. The, the LGBT. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just think I, th- I think it's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff that I didn't think was going to happen in this world that is happening. And I, you know, I, I still love and respect everybody. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I know. Listen, as long as you treat me with respect, you know, I don't care if you got three legs. Right. But some things I just think are normal and they're I, portraying out there. Yeah, and I think that's that's the element. That's the ultimate thing. It's about respect. And I think that, you know, people um I think I think it's two ways, right? I think people on one hand um you know, shouldn't go too far with stuff, but then on the you know, in in saying some things, but at the same time, I think people go too far in being offended by things. And, mm-hmm. and I think that there's always a balance and the safe room to me has always been going to the comedy club or clicking on your, you know, Netflix or HBO and, and having that moment where you can laugh at society and laugh at yourself. That's and definitely. and I, I just don't, th- I don't think that's going to be taken away. And I think that's why humor is important, especially in the black community. So I'm going to ask you this question since you're in Atlanta, and we'll we'll close out with this one. Um, what's Stacey Abrams' first year as governor gonna be like? Oh, it's I, I hope it, I hope it's, she's she's gonna get rid of you know turn her land back to where Atlanta was, like from what I remember. I hope she um, is going to you know allow weed to probably be legal as much as she can get real dispensaries or whatnot. I don't know, like make make it talk to the governor, you know, who has time to keep on sticking weed around and keep, you know, doing smoke and sleep. <laughs> um, I hope that she somehow gets the uh, equity loans and the home, the house. I, I, I want to go back to where rent was like for a three bedroom, 500. Okay. I, hope she get, I hope she approves me for section eight. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I think it's going to be a lot of approving of section eight. I think she's going to approve me for some food stamps, you know, I'm just saying, because one day I marked homeless, they gave me $250 for food stamps. And I'm like, I'm homeless. Like, <laughs> please. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. So uh, I guess go Stacy. Yeah. Well, I, the reason why I said that, because I, I remember Keisha um, 
Lance Bottoms, when asked about Atlanta, she said something to effect, um, it was during the pandemic, she said something to effect Atlanta's known for their strip clubs and their chicken wings. And so when you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you yeah. want Atlanta so, to go back to his old days, it's like, are you, you know. And they kick the people who ain't from Atlanta out. Migrate them to another city. Go, go live in Buckhead. Buckhead was trying to make their own place. <laughs> Their own city, and I'm like, bro, you know what? All the people who ain't from Lenny, y'all go to Buckhead. There it is. All the people you take, bring it back, man. Okay, cool. Because some people still owe me money I ain't seen because the land's so big, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Kendra Crump, thank you so much. Hyphen Taylor, because I'm, I'm married to rapper the game. Hey, gang, listen, man. I'm, one, I'm trying to get out these streets, okay? I'm not going to Lori Harvey you. Get get with me, okay? Hit up a real play. Rapper the game out in Los Angeles, out in Compton. Make sure you check her out on Instagram, The Kendra Crump Show. Kendra, thank you so much. I appreciate you, darling. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. All right, so I hope that uh, you were entertained and informed with uh, Dr. Kendra Crump, uh, and I hope you enjoyed the interview earlier with uh, Ms. Mignon as well. Um, we're gonna we're gonna keep trying to put these issues out here. We're gonna try to do it in a way where you are informed and in this last case entertained as well. So until next time.